Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Welcome back to the film experience. We have round two with special guest Nick Davis. Yay! It's like when Amy Poehler and Tina Fey were like, when something works, you just keep doing it until everybody's <laughs> sick of it. So we're going to try. Yes. Uh, and also, we have been both cramming in lots of movies lately. Are you mostly cramming things that are like, you know, coming out seemingly every day or are you already in the like catch up on what you missed from the year phase? I'm in the catch up every year. I'm playing catch up in yep. late December and early January. <laughs> um, just because I don't, you know, I don't attend every screening I'm invited to. And, you know, and this year, of course, haven't got to as many movies, yep. cinema issues and, and such. So like I just saw, what did I just see that was like, now it's now old <laughs> um uh test pattern oh yeah it's good right yeah it's really good it, like this is rare for me where the spirit and gotham nominations come out and i'm like what yeah i, I know heard of the movie that's pretty rare for me and then when i looked it up online after watching it i was like it says 2019 <laughs> so movies have been you know it's been a very slow crawl for movies to get seen Yep. Lately, much more so than, I mean, it was always a slow crawl for small movies and yep. subtitled movies and so on, but even more so. Thanks, pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But it's also sort of a victory for something that, um, I mean, not, not small in when you experience it, but like, you know, for to have kind of kept its head above water that amount of time. And I remember that was one for every reason I got. I think because I, got, I guess I'm on the Kino list because I think they put it out. But like their publicity team was pretty assiduous even before it got into any festivals about like, watch this movie, please. Could you possibly find some time to watch this? And I'm not usually very good at responding to those. And then and then suddenly it was in release and then suddenly it was getting award nominations. And it just feels like it's really the little train that could or something. Yeah, and well, only more timely, you know, like every single week. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, I know this was not the point of the movie at all, but I kept thinking, I'm so glad I don't live in Texas. Jesus. <laughs> well, it might have been part of the point of the movie. I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah. And it's just no offense to listeners who do live in Texas, but wow. I mean, it, you know, if famously rape kits are not processed all over the country in a timely manner. That's right. But in red states where people don't even take it, seriously at all as the vibe you get you know yeah. from those hospitals that she tries to go to and such yeah we should even tell people since this is a smaller movie they might not oh, yeah. be as familiar with but it's about um a relatively new relationship um between this young professional woman and this boyfriend who's like kind of like trying to get his own thing going he's a tattoo artist right yeah. i saw this longer ago than you did um and is it fair to say like the, we've watched the relationship, we watch it start and we're with it for long enough that it's not like a movie that hustles into its main plot. And so it right. also doesn't feel like they got together two weeks ago, but it's, you know, definitely early enough to not totally know this other person. Right. Um, and then she's out. There's a sexual assault. It, there's almost certainly like we just call it a rape um, and they have to figure out what they're going to do about it. And being in Texas makes it harder because even with all kinds of things like we, they do report whether or not they both agree about doing that. They do go to the hospital. They do get sort of some medical care and even that doesn't all help. And neither does having yeah. a partner who ostensibly understands. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, I mean, I thought it was such a thoughtful movie um, because, and also I loved that it didn't, I, I, I was like living in fear that it was going to make a villain of either her friend Yep. got her into the terrible situation or yep. her boyfriend for not being understanding enough. And nobody, you know, other than the rapist, of course, yeah. is villainized, um, which I thought was incredibly smart. And it made you really think about everyone's actions and everyone's yep. feelings. Um, and also it just, you know, it's pretty rare in movies where you see two characters and you, you love both of them and they're not connecting and you just feel so sad. I know. And they were connecting five movie minutes ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. And even that, like building the relationship is also about just like slowing down time a little bit in ways that might also be Texan. I don't know, you know, but um, 
so that when all this crisis stuff happens, it's still happening in the pace of like how your life would happen. Um, yeah. And it's not like slow cinema or like, let me a pisha pong the shit out of you. But like you are having to hang out in waiting rooms for a few minutes at a time while you try not to have a conversation that you'd rather not have if the doctor's going to come in a second, you know, or. Yeah. Yeah. I was just impressed with the whole thing. Yeah. And it's very short and you know i like my short movies <laughs> <laughs> i'm always getting in trouble online for saying so but what, whatever um but it packs a lot into that 82 minutes it sure does um because there's a, like a lot of substance to the characterizations to the situation to you know extending past when the credits roll which is something i love when a movie makes me view the characters as I'm seeing a piece of their life, but not their whole life. That's right. Yep. Which I just love, you know. Yep. And just to not like sit here dunking on Texas, like I saw it the week that I think was early in the fall. And I mean, this wound up in the Chicago papers and stuff. I teach at a university where there were several instances of exactly this um, as students came back for the first time in a while on campus, um, drugging cases. Um, and one of the targets of the drugging who went to the hospital to try to get an examination to find out what happened in this period, she can't remember, wrote about like, and yeah, they, they could not come up with one. And here we are in this like super professing, um, you know, survivor support, um, college town slash right. small city. And so this, like, like, as you were saying, it not only does happen everywhere, but was kind of happening in front of, my local environment um, right when this crossed my path. So watch it. I wish people listening, I, I had a friend in the UK, a, a shared friend of you and me who wanted to see it last week. They can't, they're it's not streaming anywhere. So it's a little tricky to find, but in the States, um, Kino now is the best place I think to look for it. Yeah. Well, it's also on, it's on stars now. Oh, okay. Um, which, so if you have a stars subscription within your Hulu account, it'll show up there. Well, there's the spectrum, stars and Kino Lorber. Yeah. <laughs> together at last. Yeah. And basically what I do what, for my purposes, I just have all the add-ons for Hulu. It just makes it easier if it's one place, you know. I think my most recent, like this came out a while ago, but I finally just saw it like two days ago, is one that you have talked a lot about, so we won't spend a lot of time here, but Mass, I finally saw. Mm. Um, and... Uh, and it was just one of those experiences you sometimes have where you don't have tons to add beyond like, oh, that's why everybody's been talking about what a great ensemble this is. Oh, that's why <laughs> Nathaniel's yeah. like, no, but ensemble, not multiple good performances on so like, um, and I even liked the frame story a lot. Like that woman playing the, she's trying so hard, but she's just got her foot all the way down her mouth. Like church employee is so great. Like that's, See, I, that's the only part of the movie I don't like. <laughs> well, I don't know if I love the part of the movie and I think it goes on a little longer yeah. than it probably has to. And um, there is a little bit of deliberate, like the choir practice will happen later and you'll you know, like, but, but I think she's so good as yeah. The, like, I think of myself as an ally, but <laughs> it's not just hard to say the right thing when you're in the situation. It's hard for everybody to say the right thing. But yeah. um, do you have a favorite of the four? I know the whole point is not to, but. Uh, <laughs> true, but yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think Martha Plimpton. Me too. Absolutely incredible. A, a little uh, preface, a little prequel to this conversation. You had said you were teaching a course on. Um, contemporary not contemporary actors new hollywood actors modern like hollywood which just means like we started with kim stanley and the method but yeah right so um that you had uh said we you wanted to talk briefly about faye dunaway and uh general oh yeah uh-huh and so i was going to bring this up anyway naturalism versus sort of theatricality mm. um because i could be wrong because i'm not a general Rollins expert at all but uh like my I, I am much more drawn to Faye Dunaway because huh? something about the heightened like movie star theatricality of of her work is something that really appeals to me. But I know one of the reasons that I or one of the reasons I assume people are obsessed with Jenna Rollins is the naturalism and feeling like it's all completely spontaneous mm, and yeah. how people actually behave and, and that sort of thing. So uh, about Martha Plimpton. Yeah. So to me, 
that's such a and it's such a cliche to cliche to say lived in, but I just really felt like she was this woman. Yep. Like she was not Martha Plumpton. She was this woman who lost her child. And it's like the years of buildup yep. in her emotions and in her breakthrough, which is, I think, a really hard to, thing to sell convincingly when someone has like an epiphany. Yes. Um, and I just thought she was incredible. Like, spoiler alert, she's on my five wide best actress list this year. That scene, especially, I mean, people say all the time, well, whatever. I guess it's a conventional term of praise in some way to say that she doesn't even treat that big speech like it's the big speech in the movie. But like she definitely doesn't do that. Like, you know, she's yeah. sort of like you can really um, offer that, especially for a character who the beginning of Mass like sets you up to think like, so this is the one who's going to lose it. Like she's right. barely biting her tongue. Right. And then like for the next hour and 10 minutes, she's the one who's just like sponging everybody else's stuff and not actually producing very much and um and so then to finally like all the more reason why i think it would be so tempting to be like and now i go live and like she doesn't do that like she sort of yeah. says the speech like someone who needs to say something but doesn't want to think about it too much or we just yeah. got to get through this moment i think i think it's incredible and like the quality of her like withholding and like keeping her words back for an hour um is incredible too Especially because it's not just an hour. You can feel it's been years. You can feel it's been years. Yeah. And to think about also the other time frame, which is the 10 days they were filming this, which I can't even fucking imagine, you know, but um, like, yeah. And they're all, but they're all, they're all so. They're all fantastic. Um, Yeah. It it feels ungenerous, shall we say, to uh, rank them. (laughs) Yes. They're all fantastic, but she is my favorite of the film. And a first among equals. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, um, but I, I basically have come to this realization about her. A long, as, as a long drawn out realization that she's one of the best actors in the world. Yeah. Because like every time I see her, like she gets better and better every decade. Yeah. Like I liked her a lot. Um, when I first got to know her in like, um, uh, uh, Running on empty and Mosquito Coast and mm. like all those like 80s movies, right? Mm. And it's just every decade she just adds more sort of weapons to her arsenal as an actor. Yeah. And like her work this past year has been, you know, the past few years, whether it's like a sitcom, uh, like I can't remember the name of that sitcom where she played the mom of the gay son. Is it called like Chasing Hope or something? Or is that the No, no, that's a different sitcom. Oh, okay. Um, but she played the mom of a gay kid in this one sitcom, which was actually a really fun sitcom. And then, and then she also played the mom of a gay mom of a gay kid in, um, in, uh, generations on HBO. Oh, uh-huh. I highly recommend everyone watch. Um, they did okay. not renew it. So it's just one season, but it's one of my, I think it's one of the best shows on television. And she's mm-hmm. again, much different character mm. or in some ways, a similar character. <laughs> To the other mom of the gay kid, because both the, both are moms that are having trouble with their son being gay. Uh-huh. But the levels that she pulls out of that dilemma and like her her sort of character arc as she very very begrudgingly tries to make space for this thing that she's uncomfortable with mm. is just incredible. Wow! And I bought every second of it. And you know, in real life, of course, she's like raging liberals she's not someone who would have issues with having a gay kid yeah Um, so that's another fascinating thing about it is that she can be so as an actor so deep inside of things she surely doesn't feel as a regular person yep um i just think she's one of the best actors working period yeah and i'm 100 percent. you've said this in the in the writing you've done about mass, but just to feel like these are four actors who are very much not playing the same conflicts and like their styles are different from each other. And the preconceptions we probably bring in about each of them is a little bit different, like watching the Broadway actor kind of in a new context or watching Jason Isaacs get cast in the kind of project we don't always see him in, but we think of him as kind of a maybe not quite as big a movie star as he should be, but whatever. Yeah. And the fact that they can hold on to all those differences and still feel like an ensemble, like Jesus. 
Um, yeah, I don't even I, understand the point. Uh, like, I hate it when people get very, like, sort of hardline about, like, just cancel the whole award if you don't nominate this one thing. But, like, yeah, I don't understand the point of ensemble awards existing and not going to this movie. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. So, like, the, the SAG thing just made me so crazy. But it's much worse than SAG. It's easy to point figures because they're the big target. Yeah. But just, like, from critics organization to critics organization naming things like, I don't know, licorice pizza or yeah, other things, ensembles, when it's just like a collection of movie stars they like in cameos. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't understand what you're doing here. Yeah. Not to be judgmental about other critics, but yes, that this time of year is when I do that. Yeah. Well, you know, it comes with the search for critics and stuff. Yeah. Speaking of ensembles, so yeah. like, well, well, that doesn't need to be the segue, but we kind of talked about things we've our pickups. Um, what's kind of just hitting audiences now, even if you saw it before, that um, that's most on your mind? Oh well, the tragedy of Macbeth. Oh okay. Um, probably because it just I guess I guess it just came out on Apple because suddenly like mm-hmm. on Twitter everywhere. Um, Friday, yeah. But I saw it, you know, four months ago or whatever. Um, not to brag, but it was one of those movies that is not a brag because I hate the way the world is structured where we yes. talk about things months before they come out. Hate it. Um, but, uh, but it was one of those movies that had a weird, weird trajectory to coming out because it stopped screening after that New York premiere, basically. Yeah. Like it didn't do all the, the festival circuit or whatever, just did that New York premiere. So it was like four months before anybody else was seeing it, which was yep. a very strange feeling. And I kept being like, why aren't people talking about Catherine Hunter and the supporting actress race? And, mm-hmm. um, and it's just like weird to hear people just now like, Oh my God, she's incredible. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the New York film <laughs> circle tried to say so. And that, and that was weirdly the one award they gave that d- people didn't decide to run with because yeah. every year, the NYFCC and the LAFCA, you can, you can tell people start piggybacking on their choices because they're such influential groups. Mm-hmm. And everyone is paying attention to those two groups. So yeah. I, that was something I was like, yes, maybe people will realize now. And then just nobody did. Yeah. <laughs> so, and maybe it was a screening thing. Maybe they weren't uh, getting the screenings to people. I, I wasn't staying aware of that because if I've seen something, I don't pay attention if I'm offered a link, you know? Yeah. Um. So. I also sort of wonder if in this context, um, the kind of bandwagon needs the witch slash witches to have like one more scene or it. Oh, for sure. Because now everybody thinks anything less than a co-lead is a cameo. Yeah. Or even like, like a more sustained, you know, like, I mean, people know Macbeth and like know how it works. Right. But like, I'm, since I just saw it on Friday after all yeah. of this hype of like, right. It's all kind of interesting. People have different responses to different performances, but like this is the piece of it that you're going to be dazzled by. And then like it is, she's so extraordinary. And I kind of duped myself into forgetting that like I'm not going to meet her very often after this first kind of kind of stunning impression. Um, so yeah, there yeah. can be because of all the buzz, maybe a little bit of like, oh, I wanted more, you know? Yeah. Um, but what an amazing idea. But did you, did you, what did, I don't, I actually don't know your response to the movie as a whole. Um, I, it is a rare movie that I reviewed. So shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> For not reading every single What kind of citizen of the film experience am I? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I know you, it's so easy to, especially festival reviews, it's so easy to forget people even saw something, you know, if it's months oh. later. So I liked it. Um, I thought a lot of it was really fascinating. And weirdly, not to talk about length of movies again, weirdly, I thought it should have been longer. Mm. Um, I thought the arcs were, I, I appreciated that, that it was keeping it tight, <laughs> as they say. Um, but at the same time, the sort of the central pull and the audience entertainment of Macbeth, I think, is the spiraling madness. Mm. And that's the draw, that's the arcs and the big, you know, theatricality of it. And I felt like that was missing mm-hmm. because I feel like as soon as the murder happens, they're both crazy. Oh, okay. So that I didn't feel like the out damn spot monologue because I'm an actrosexual. That is my favorite part of Macbeth every time. And it was maybe my least favorite scene in the movie. 
just huh. because I felt like there was no, it didn't pull me into that. It didn't work. It didn't march toward that. It just sort of stuck it in there because the famous yep. speech. So I needed more of the sense of why she was, why someone who was that amoral yeah, and that ambitious would suddenly go crazy because I just didn't, it was so trimmed that I felt like it lost some things about the character playing your best. Mm, okay. I mean, I maybe had a similar, if what I'm hearing is a sort of, I, I admired this, but I really, I was not able to go all the way with it. Like that's yes. where I wound up also, but maybe for um, a related, but different reason of, of it almost felt purposeful to me. And like, I, that, that it, the language did not seem like what this movie was about. And maybe that's super insulting and you know, people who worked on it or like we practiced over and over and over again. And like, but it felt really like um, it, it was the words even more than the movie that felt fast and kind of um, sometimes almost sort of perfunctory mm-hmm. in a way that, uh, that then when Washington and McDormand suddenly did sort of play these more heightened states of paranoia or, madness it, i had not really sort of been tracking that in their performances like they did seem to sort of crash in from out mm-hmm. of nowhere and like the movie seemed to have given so much over to its um sort of german expressionist idiom and yeah. not to do a lot of the storytelling work and maybe not as much the and like i'm not like that person who needs like every shakespeare adaptation to be like but well, what about the pentameter you know like whatever <laughs> I, mean, and I wouldn't even always honestly be all that sensitive to that but but it almost felt like in the same way they were agreeing to play these characters as older and to have known each other for decades. Yeah, like there was something so sort of settled in their relationship with each other and in their, you know, late middle age that like they, it wasn't all about like, ah, you know, like all the with every feeling that they were having. But it it almost at the risk of being a little flat. And um, and then suddenly when you can't be flat at the end of the play, it just seems a little abrupt to me. Yeah, that's I mean, that's what I was trying to say, but less eloquent. <laughs> it just seemed, it seemed like the arcs were given short shrift by by the need for to make it so and not not by the need to make it so visually dazzling but but the attention was elsewhere is what I want to say. The attention was elsewhere. Yeah. And I actually kind of just assumed that the experiment seemed so forward about like let's not let's experiment with non-histrionic Macbeth that that would mean that even the end they might see like well how does that play if you gamble on non-histrionic but but right. they they didn't really hold to that yeah and uh yeah so that's where i was with it i mean i did like a lot of it i did not enjoy uh francis mcdormand's performance mm. but and i usually love her so yeah it i just i, I don't know there's something about it i couldn't connect to yeah. as well as like my favorite monologue being sort of like the weakest part. Um, and I do, I do wonder like Catherine Hunter was so spectacular and transcendent and strange that I do really wonder what the whole movie would have been like if everyone had gone super stylized. Mm, yeah. Instead of the sort of mix that the movie kept showing me, it's sort of like mix of like traditional Shakespeare acting and sort yep. of modernized Shakespeare acting and then sort of, ultra heightened theatrical abstract acting. Yeah. So I just didn't feel it was necessarily cohesive. Um, yeah. But I liked it. Yep. We same. So Beautiful uh, agreement. what's that? Beautiful agreement. Look at us <laughs> on a frequency. <laughs> Two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> but but only only sort of barely up. Like, I would never steer someone away from this. It is definitely an interesting film. Yes. Uh, and a worthy, worthy experiment. I just didn't, it just didn't completely work for me. Yep. Um, but I know uh, something that's more enthusiastic thumbs up. I want to hear your take on The Lost Daughter because you have written to me <laughs> twice to tell me how obsessed you are, but I don't know why you're obsessed. Other are than you not? Are you less obsessed? I'm less obsessed, but I do really enjoy it. But I saw it in, you know, we've we've often talked about festivals aren't always like the best way to see movies because you're seeing so many things in a row. Yeah. Um, I saw it um, early at and Venice at mm-hmm. a festival, and I was seeing like four different 
four other things that day and really, really enjoyed it. And I saw my rating was super high. Yeah. <laughs> but then it sort of like slipped in my mind for a while. Oh, okay. Um, and so now I'm like eager to go back to it before I actually do my awards because once it started winning things and being nominated for everything, I was just kind of annoyed because it felt like it was taking the place of passing. <laughs> like people thought these, um, like not that the movies are anything alike, but it's like yep. two at two brilliant actresses decide to become directors and the only one people care about is Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'm like, but Rebecca Hall's doing such amazing work. Oh, so I see. Since the world pitted them against each other, I took sides, naturally. Got it. I would not have put it, pitted them against each other. There's room for both amazing actors turned directors. Yeah. And I, yeah, I hadn't, um, I hadn't thought of that sort of like head-to-head aspect of it, but I have been thinking about those movies together a lot and with Zola, did I say this last time? Because all three of them feel like here's this woman who's going to absolutely honor the text that she's adapting that it, mm-hmm. for different reasons means a lot to everybody. Um, yeah. and like you, if you're looking for that text, here it is. But also I am not going to be so timid as to just like, you know, can just hand you a facsimile of the thing you already have. Right. And I love that about all three of them. And in this one, um, I just, I love everything about it. Like it was just one of those movies that I mean, we've talked a lot about, I think, including in the last podcast about wishing that the camera was doing more work, even in a lot of the movies that we like recently. Yeah. And this was definitely a case where it felt like just watching these people sort of scope each other out, but sort of seem not to, or is she the only one who's paying all that attention, but the family's barely noticing her, except maybe they sort of are. And like, and even as the relationships start getting more resolved, that the ways that these people are circling each other or like what they're saying and, and expressing is not the same as how their bodies are moving around each other. Like that, I felt so absorbed in just the world of that. Um, yeah. In the, I thought it did an amazing job of um, when and how exactly it started really foregrounding the flashback narrative. Um, mm-hmm. we, it, almost like what we were saying a little bit about test pattern, but like you need to kind of be in a fairly quotidian register of like a woman who's just trying to have a vacation. Um, and it can't be about the plot immediately. And it, right. it doesn't even try to let both forces out of the gate at the same time in terms of the past and the present. But, but once that happened, I already have so many questions about Leda now that like, I'm, I have super focused interests in like the background, but like also there's so much new stuff that is just specific to that time frame that I'm really interested in. And, and just the idea that you would write this script and be like, Oh, I know who I'll send it to Olivia Coleman. Like that seems like <laughs> such an, unexpected choice which i guess is you know part of what the movie is about but like um you know she's so ubiquitous right now and but this felt not like anything i've seen from her before and yet i totally believed it um yeah she's an incredible actor and the range is off the track um but like i i think i wrote about this in my review and i i wonder if i've seen said it on the podcast and if i have please forgive me for repeating myself but the thing I liked best about it as a movie is it felt to me exactly like a Maggie Gyllenhaal performance. Completely. Completely. It was like thorny and sort of irrita- irritable and complex and sexual and like all of these things like in this very, very sort of hot stew. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it just really felt like Maggie Gyllenhaal throughout to me, which was such a weird feeling because she's not in the movie. <laughs> you know? A completely yes. And um and I'm I'm doing a sort of seminar about this movie on Monday. And so I was, was that tomorrow? Jesus. Um, and I was reading about like their decisions that she, you know, Gyllenhaal and Coleman and Buckley all saying like, you're different looking gals. You're not the same. You're like the audience for this movie is probably going to know who you both are. Like, let's not over invest in like, let's both have this one mannerism and that'll let people know we're the same. Yeah. Per- you know, and like the movie works if they're kind of the same person and, you know, in some ways you like totally change into a different person. Um, not totally change, but you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, yeah. That, that sense of just like riskiness and letting each person in the movie be who they are and trust the audience to be figuring out 
how this is an ensemble or what kinds of relationships we even think everybody is having. And there's so many questions even by the end about like, is that family like super malign and dangerous or do they just like have that rep in this beach town or is Lyle like reporting on her to everybody else? Or is he just like a doofus who Ed Harris is managing to like play as dumb without playing down to the character, which I think is really hard to do. Who's just trying to like, have a good time with this kind of pretty lady who's in the apartment that he's renting out or, you know, like there's, it just doesn't tell you a lot, um, which I think yeah. is great. But, but the actors do. The actors do every single second. Yeah. And like, I am obsessed with Dagmara Dominich. I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. I have always loved her, but she so rarely pops up in anything. Um, Mrs. Patrick Wilson, for those of you who don't know. And yeah. I just, She's such a good actor, and I wish she would work more, but I get it. They have a lot of kids, and they've made a choice (laughs) to foreground his career, but she's so talented, and I love that character so much. I found her so interesting and weirdly malevolent, but at the same time, like what you're saying, maybe she just, maybe in in a very similar way to Lita, she just easily irritated by other people. You know, yeah. Maybe she's not actually that malevolent. Or irritated by like, what do you mean I don't get my way? I pitch. <laughs> like, you know, like the and to have that question about that character, I think the whole movie, while also feeling like I understood exactly who this was five seconds into the performance. Yeah. Um, it's weird to accomplish both of those things. Um yeah. but you would think that there would be so many more movies that would like not in a farce facetious way but in an earnest way be about like this is a woman who's pregnant and so proud of it and so kind of like a bully about it that it just feels like she's congratulating herself every second that she's talking to you and and speaking about like well you know motherhood and it's like wait a minute slow your roll you know but she just captures that so well in a way that also was one of the reasons i was like I, you can tell this family has money, even though they're all in bathing suits and we haven't even seen the boat yet. And like, right. she's acting like someone who's just not comfortable with like, what do you mean you won't move to the next table? You know, like, yeah, um, there's just yeah. so much information coming all the time. And then there's Dakota Johnson, who I also think is like, I just want your face to be my screensaver. What's, why are you Mary McDonalding right now? I could just look into your irises and wonder something's coalescing. I don't know what it is yet. Oh, you just went from happy to sad. And I don't know when you did that. Like she's magnetic and I haven't always, I mean, I've always kind of liked her, but yeah, you're more than ever. Yeah. She's just, she's, she's, yeah, she's definitely like, like Martha Plimpton, I think all the time I get new ideas about her as an actor and I'm like, and that type of actor, I don't mind like, yes, give them all the roles. Cause I just want to see how far they can take their range. You know? I know. I know. Whereas other people, you know, they get a lot of work and you're like, I've seen this performance from you like seven times. Right. Right. Or like, I understand that you're hot right now. And so you're getting cast and everything, but is this the role that, you know, were you yeah. really needed for this part? And yeah, I mean, like, I, I would assume that would be really difficult, too, to have to play a part where we there's really not a lot about Nina that ever does totally gel in terms of what we're sure about with her or yeah. why she's interested or not interested in Leda. And um, to have to occupy that across a whole film, I would imagine, is really hard. But she doesn't seem like she's stressing about it. So like like Mass, it's another one where it's just like, how, if you're giving out awards for ensemble, for ensemble. Yeah, it's true. How is this not near the top of your list or at the top of your list? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because everyone's really good. I even, I mean, I, I'm carrying over my affection from the miniseries, Normal People, but even Paul Mescal in like a very disposable role, really. Yep. Yep. Loved him in that. I just thought everyone was so good. Yeah. Because, also, it's one of these movies where everyone is playing their character, but Paul Mescal and Ed Harris, like you're saying, it's like there's there's an effortlessness to it, even though it's a very tense movie. Yes. Where everyone is just sort of playing their characters and, and those characters are going to naturally like have all these like weird dynam- interpersonal dynamics. Yeah. It doesn't feel like anybody's playing into the drama. They just the drama is going to erupt from those situations. Yeah, I agree. And even like when you do your own work as an actor, you enable things and other performances you're having nothing to do with. Like yeah. I was thinking about how 
because Paul Mescal and his like cafe night out with Leda seems like flirtatious and kind of like not like with designs on her, but kind of right. turned on by this woman's mind. And like, yeah. she's clearly talking too much about her kids. Stop doing that. You know, but like when they get to the right topic, you can tell how genuinely, um, you know, turned on him in every way you want to think about that. He is by her. And so then later when you meet Jesse Buckley and Peter Sarsgaard, which could just feel skeevy or he could just feel like an obvious person, like he too is also visible as somebody who's like, it's because she's smart that she's the one I'm yeah. picking out, you know, even though I, you know, sense about that character, he's probably done this before, you know, or yeah. would settle for less, <laughs> but like the, the whole movie makes I I think you're right that the whole thing kind of turns me on thinking about how smart Mackie Gyllenhaal is and yeah. how her intelligence has always been like inextricable from her um, behavior and her carnality and all the other things she showed us over and over again. But it's especially always been the smarts and the movie has that quality. And that's important because everyone in this movie is curious about everybody else's mind. Um, Do you think that's why the general public hates it? Because <laughs> I don't know. The general public hate it? <laughs> yes. I mean, How do we know that? Sort of online scoring, you know, on various sites that do it for audience reactions. Okay. And it's like, we, I, I don't think this is from Rotten Tomatoes necessarily, but a lot of sites do that now where they have like the audience score and the critic score type of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's like way down in sort of Rotten Tomato register, whereas like the reviews are all like sky high. Oh, so it's like the anti don't look up in that way? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, fine. Sorry. A lot of people are not turned on by intelligence. <laughs> well, there is that, you know, which is the theme of don't look up. But, um, I, you know, one doesn't imagine Maggie Gyllenhaal was like, I bet I'm going to win the People's Choice Award. Let me call Claire Denise, cinematographer. That'll help. You know, like, um, so I doubt she's staggered, but like, I'm, uh, well, I mean, I'm sad to hear that. But well, doesn't she? Didn't she also use the the composer of Claire Denis' movies? Yeah, yeah. And then I read. Um, well, there's this Vanity Fair feature where you can watch Maggie and Dakota talk just about the cinematography of the movie. Yeah, and how they have you seen that? No. And um, and it's kind of cool watching a director and an actor talk about their relationship to the photographer who's not there, and like they're watching scenes of the movie together, and. I remembered this story from a long time ago. I don't know what movie Maggie Gyllenhaal was promoting, but where she was talking about, like, we're so weird about what we think kids can handle. Like, I'm not taking my kids to trolls. I take them to Pina Bausch. Like, they're, and then they get super into it and they're six, you know? And so she said, like, the fact that this woman shot Pina was part of why I wanted her because I think you're watching these bodies navigate each other in every single scene. And we are not in close up as much as you would think for a movie that's so much in Leda's mind. And I wanted that. Of of course you did. Wow. (laughs) So it was just, it's like a whole dossier on like the movies that have excited her has clearly gone into. And and that like the editor um, was the only editor she wanted to work with the guy who did like beasts of the Southern wild and Carol and stuff. And she's like, no, it has to be him. And everybody told me you're tripping. He is not going to work with a first time filmmaker. Who's really an actor. And yeah, turned out he was like dying to work with Maggie Gyllenhaal. He didn't even need to read the script. Like, so anyway, I'm just excited about the Voltron formation of all the people who worked on this movie. It made me usually when an actor turns out to be a good director, I get a little sad because, I just, you know, I love actresses so much, especially. And so it's like, yeah. I was like, but, you know, like Greta Gerwig had something so unique as a performer. Oh, yeah. She's like only a director now, only a writer director, which is, oh, I say only, even though she keeps making good movies. So, like, that's not, <laughs> yeah. it's right. not a problem per se. It's just my own personal affection for acting, you know? Yeah. So, but I will say this about uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal is like, this made me excited to see her direct other people too. Completely. Like, I was just like, I want to see her direct Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> because they're, they're such, uh, you know, they're obviously such, so tight as siblings. Yeah. And yet he gives off, to me at least, he gives off very different vibes as a performer than she does. Totally. Even when they're so, so obviously, like, very close friends. Yeah. And, and I just want to see what that would pull out of him. Mm. She doesn't seem like him on, as an actor. They, they seem very different. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Whereas with 
and this is not a knock on the performance because I loved um, Peter Sarsgaard in The Lost Daughter too. But yeah, me too. That seemed like exactly what I expected she would pull. <laughs> like I was like, oh, we're going there, okay, <laughs> with, uh-huh. your, with your partner. Yeah, and like you're you're playing up this thing that he, it seems a little unexpected because he can be sort of skeevy or whatever, but it's also yeah. great fun. Yeah, you know, as a way to like show off your partner's sort of mm. desirability. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I thought that was really fun, but it didn't surprise me per se. I see. Um, whereas like, I have no idea what she would bring out of Jake as an actor. Yeah. God, I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, I, I, I share all your views of both of them and that they're dissimilar. And I often feel like, you know, with exceptions and you got to make some money sometimes, but like Maggie Gyllenhaal usually strikes me as doing exactly what she wants to do. And Jake only strikes me that way in his theater career. And in his movies, I often feel like he's in a situation where he doesn't either seem totally comfortable either because he's pushing too hard of like, this is me as an artist, or he's in something that he doesn't like believe in. And you can sort of feel that. Um, They don't seem to have that in common. Um, But yeah, it would be interesting, but I, I am now interested to see her direct like literally anyone. Yeah. <laughs> and I read this thing that she um, whispered all of her notes to each actor um, partially so she could give feedback that would not embarrass them if she was asking for something different, but partially so that nobody from take to take knew what the other person had been told. And often it was different. Mm. Um, and so the amount of like mystery and spontaneity that's even in like take 16, um, and and that is in the whole movie, it seems like she had really smart ideas about how to achieve that. Um, so be more like Maggie Gyllenhaal is my, is my advice to like everybody, but especially more directors. It is, is, yeah, it is is good advice. It's good advice. advice. Yeah. (laughs) What movie do you want to talk about next, Nick? Well, I'm trying to think of, um, I mean, I know that a lot of these you said more about, but I'm just curious about your being the Ricardo's perspective. That's that seems like such a uh, messy conversation to dip into. Okay, <laughs> people are so worked up. No, I'm not saying we won't, but I'm just okay. saying people are so worked up about it in ways that feel very outsized to what the movie's actually doing. Yeah. Um, and so I I think immediately it's one of those movies and not dissimilar to don't look up in that talking about it as a film mm. it is not happening it's only talking about it in terms of how you feel about whether or not it's awards worthy uh, uh-huh. and like i find those movies tend to not get evaluated well until years later yeah um sometimes those movies are outright bad like August Osage County, right? But even, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought being the Ricardos was very entertaining while I was watching it. And then seeing it like the, the amount of vitriol aimed at it, um, a lot of which makes really good points. Yeah. <laughs> um, has me like, hmm, why did I enter, why did I find it so entertaining? But then on the other hand, I think people are, are, they're, they're worked up outsides to what the movie's actually doing. Yes, Aaron Sorkin has lots, lots of problems as a director and some problems yeah. as a writer. Um, but the core of it, I think it's like a really interesting story and an interesting way to like talk about production and commerce versus like art and like people thinking through like artistic problems and stuff. So I, I really enjoyed it. I get yeah. why people don't like it, but I think people are being very extra about their responses in, in both directions. Uh-huh. That seems I don't fair. think it's great, and I don't think it's terrible. Yeah. I liked it even more as I went. Like, even some of the stuff that I imagine people are reacting badly to of just, like, it was so... I, I love the era when he would write a script and then somebody else would direct it. Like, yes, just me being, too. I understand that, you know, the desire to, like, learn new things, especially if they mean something to you, but, like, you know, thank you, Ben Miller. Thank you, David Pitcher. Like, whatever. But um, but then I don't know if it was just that or if it was just like, you know, the movie is strange in some ways. And like, um, it does propose a lot to you from like how people look to the fact that this is like, we're just not going to recreate the sitcom very much, which I, I like as a choice. But you just have to get used to some stuff. But mm-hmm. I loved the aspect of it that was like, 
we're going to just bold face because it's happening to the characters. There are four things going on. And like a lot of scenes are going to be out loud about one of them, but it's your job to think about how they are also talking about the other ones in the way they're talking about this one. And um, I think that's a really ambitious thing for a script to do. And the ending was one of my favorite parts of it that, um, well, I mean, I'm assuming people have seen it now if they have any interest, but like just yeah, to protect the few who haven't. But can you remind me what happens at the end? Because like again, I'm well, just the fact that it's like you know, victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat, and then no, it's fucking not. And it depends which one of these storylines matters to you, oh, or right, which yeah. one you think matters to Lucy, and or which one you think you know. And even though like you know, it can be so irritating sometimes when like so much of the meat of what a story has yielded seems like summed up in like a caption at the end of the movie but then to be like and they kept working on the show for nine more years and then they divorced the next day like they worked for nine more years on this after that happened like fucking hell like that just seemed um i i think that the writing really proposes a lot and it's an ambitious structure and it makes sense to try it with people who are already in the weird business of like appearing as themselves married to each other barely fictionalized and yeah. did not expect the show to be a hit after like having expected, you know, we've got a woman who thought she'd be a hit for 10 years and never was. And now she's in the opposite situation and can barely make sense of it. And it's season, it's like season two, right? Is what they're starting. I, yeah. I don't, I don't remember the specifics. Yeah. I mean, that's again, I, I was being in the mad rush of a, everything opening up. Of all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. I've never seen one episode of I Love Lucy. So like oh, wow. for better or worse, you know, that I was not coming in with a lot of need or expectation about that. Um, well, that need does seem to throw people. Yeah. Even though a lot of what has been said about that movie in in promotion has been, it's not that don't come in expecting that, which is. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked it, but I don't, again, I don't necessarily think it's awards worthy. I loved Nicole Kidman in it. Yeah. Um, right now, she's, all these spoilers I'm giving on the podcast, like right now she's hovering, may, maybe she's going to make my best actress, let's maybe she's not. So okay. She's right around yeah. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I keep turning it over in my head, but but my point is, even if she doesn't make it, I do think she's fabulous in the movie. Yeah, I think so, too. Um. So, and so I, I sort of, it's sad to me that people feel like they need to be sort of anti it. And I'm like, no, you can like things with reservations or not like <laughs> things while admiring certain aspects of it. Right. Like one of, one of the things that threw me online was, was, was everybody being upset about, oh, and, you know, and get this, the audience like applauds, like the, the movie makes it a big point of applauding when J. Edgar Hoover, like, you know, saves the day type of thing. Yeah, and like really offended by that because everybody hates J. Edgar Hoover in retrospect. Right. But I'm like, but the time frame was very conservative. Yeah, like the anti-communist stuff that was going on Hollywood and Hoover and all that. Yes, the public would applaud that. I think that's right, and I also think that the movie knows that's an ironic tension i'm sure you know like it's it's like the 20th thing that's happened in the movie where like the wrong person does the right thing or the right person says the wrong thing or like you know the the ally and the enemy are not the people you thought they were and then they changed again the next day so like it just seems like there's plenty of groundwork here to like let art be aware (laughs) of like its own contradictions i feel like it is we're not in a time frame where people want those contradictions. <laughs> I, we, that seems, um, yeah. But then I sometimes, you know, I mean, I catch myself doing it where like you don't introduce the contradictions you feel in the conversation because you think nobody else wants to hear them, you know? So like I, you just never know what people are performing online, but, um, or in person. But I just don't believe that Aaron Sorkin and Javier and Nicole were like, Andrew Hoover, yes! You like that. I, I'm sure they know. I, they seem like people who are aware. Yeah. Um, that's not what the story's doing. And like, yeah, she needs any port in the storm right now. And she got a great one. Yeah. Such yeah. as he is. Yeah. So I, I do feel like with a lot of these, like the lost daughter and that one, I would like to see them again, but I just, you know, when is that ever going to happen? I do not know. I, the one yeah. that I did see again, which I was fully not intending to was no time to die. You saw that twice. <laughs> 
Oh, I felt like I was watching the same movie like five times while I watched it the once. <laughs> well, it was not my choice. It was one of these situations like you have some screeners and you're with uh-huh. friends and it's a holiday. Yeah. And of course, people are going to pick the Bond movie because they haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, and surprisingly, because I feel your pain when I said that and the face looks, <laughs> the expression on Nick's yeah. face right now, listeners, is so funny. He's so sort of basset hound is what I'm going for. Yeah. Is um, I would su- I would surprise myself in liking it better the second time. That still does not mean I think it's a great Bond movie. Yeah, but I did find more to enjoy this time. And once I was sort of released from the heavy expectations, and also from knowing that it was like ridiculously too long for itself, um, so I could just sort of lean back and sort of try to read the room and see how the movie was going over with my friends, which was kind of fun for me sometimes if I've seen a movie multiple times. Yeah. Especially if I don't care that much about it. Like if I take, you know, I I have had terrible experiences where I've taken a friend or friends to something I tremendously loved and then seeing their reaction not being that way. Oh. If I don't care about a movie, I actually really enjoy watching other people's reactions to it. Uh Oh. Um. Like, I can't even speak about the one time I tried to show uh, Mad Max Fury Road to a loved one and the sort of, like, hatefulness they exhibited toward it. Uh-huh. It would be so terrible. Why does anybody care about it? And I was like, who are you? What is wrong with you? You know, that's... I know. I'm going to need you to sleep on the couch. <laughs> Derek and I watched Birth together once. It didn't... It wasn't what I needed. Oh, um, <laughs> So, yes, I was talking about my ex-boyfriend there, and you called me out on that. Oh. <laughs> so I just was speaking about my own experience narcissistically, but, like, you know, it had it had that quality, your testimony. Yeah. So, um, well, so how would you, like, one of the things I just found irritating about Bond was that, was just that the franchise, which doesn't even mean that much to me, and I haven't even seen that many Bond movies, honestly, but... um has just just become so absorbed in like the meta-ness of how people feel about Bond. And like, it felt like the wrong exit ramp to me to get all interested in like backstory and character psychology. And like, this is the orphanage. Like, I'm not interested in any of this, but okay. Um, and so I'm kind of curious about it in relationship in to Matrix Resurrections and the ways in which both of them have pivoted both across a franchise, but sharply even further in these movies of like, it just all feels like it's about hailing the audience in terms of how have we felt about this person? Are we finally retiring them? And the things that made us fascinated with them in the beginning seem almost like incidental by now. And like, maybe that's kind of like interesting and risky, but in other ways, it just feels kind of like a default on like, but did you forget why we cared? Cause it wasn't, it wasn't this. <laughs> yeah, no, that's an interesting comparison. That, but I do think it's sort of an, an inevitable way art would go in sort of like a culture that's just been dominated by franchises for 20 plus years now. Yeah. Um, that inevitably this was going to happen like the Ouroboros, like Hollywood is eating itself. So some people are going to talk about how that tastes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um so I, yeah, I would love for Bond to go back to standalone movies. Like, to me, that was one of the whole appeals of it. it not unlike, you know, say Indiana Jones back in the day where... Oh, my God, yeah. You don't... It, you can just enjoy it as an adventure. And you don't have to see what came before and what happened after. Plus, it's like an action movie, which, you know, Mad Max Fury Road aside, which I just name-checked, like, most of those don't most of those great ones don't necessarily rely that heavily on sort of, I don't even know where I'm going with that on sort of this sort of character work and the, you know, the substance of what it's saying and like all these things, like they're meant to be adventures. Yeah. And I feel like this Daniel Craig era started off really strong, but like Casino Royale is so great, but, but then it just became like really, really heavy about itself. And I wonder if some of that is Daniel Craig himself because he was so like sort of a hesitant bond after mm-hmm. basically the first movie. 
he yeah. doesn't seem to be enjoying himself for the whole time. Um, so I really hope for the next one they get a uh, an actor who thinks this, this is the greatest job I've ever had. Yeah. Um, and then it's directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal is Bond and Maggie Gyllenhaal. We've solved it. Uh, we've cracked the puzzle of James Bond. We'll call up the broccolis now. Get them on speed down. <laughs> so we'll invite them onto this call. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And, like, I also understand that, like, when it's fully sinks in, well, I don't know, what do I understand? I've never been in a position really like this. But, like, I, it's, it's easy for me to speculate about Daniel Craig. Like, if the penny really drops, like, oh, this really is, like, my whole life now. Like, years and years are going to be devoted to each one of these. This is the only acting I'm going to get to do. So I'm going to need it to be some acting, you know, like, please give me what I associate with acting, which might be Sturm and Drang and, you know, like, whatever. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was offended from the beginning. when it, Did I even send you this screenshot when it was, like, early in the movie there on the beach? and You did send me this. And it's like, <laughs> so we put him in a swimsuit and we're shooting it from, like, two kilometers away? Fuck you. What kind of James... Fuck you. Like, <laughs> but... Uh, that aside, it just felt like, oh, you're actually expecting me to remember Spectre? Like, does anybody remember Spectre? And, like, it's not like we didn't... Bond fans remember Spectre. Like, I know! And I think it's partly because we, with people in rooms being like, oh, what do we think about? Oh, the one like, oh, what, what do you think about James? And, like, James Bond doesn't give a fuck what people think about him. <laughs> like, if there's one thing to say about why that franchise has been around for 60 years, it's like, we're going to do what we're doing. This is a periodic table. He is an element. He does not change. And, like, you can like him in some eras and get impatient and criticize him, and then you'll come back around. But it's not our job to, like, think about you. James Bond isn't thinking about you. But it just seems like the movies are thinking so relentlessly about us. Yeah, and, and, I, and I do think that that's not going to change, which is sad to me. No. I think I think that along with the movies getting heavier because maybe partially because of Bond, it's like the expectations are so so sky high for them now. I almost wish Bond would go into an era where something was a spectacular failure. So mm. it'd just be like, you know what? Let's just, you know, make a Bond movie and not put so much weight on it. And it's, you know, it's one of those franchises too, where, you know, it's not normal now for the, the big franchises to wait like six, seven years between movies. Yeah. Um, and I think that weight, which normally I would welcome because there's too many franchises. Yeah, it's not good for Bond because it it makes the expectations so heavy because like this is the only one we're gonna get maybe this whole decade so therefore we have to put everything. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, it just also feels like the thing that it's it's just like it's the Oscar producers all over again, right? Like like we've what can we do that will make people like it the way they used to? It's like, but it's a different. Stop doing that. Like just make. <laughs> make the thing that you think makes sense for what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I mean, in, in some ways I think there have been James Bond movies that like, I mean, how would you know? Because like, it's like these metrics become arbitrary, but like quantum of solace, I'm sure made people some money, but like, I think it was probably like a catastrophic failure. Like it, and I think people are kind of too hard on that movie, but like nobody seemed to like it. It didn't do nearly what Casino Royale had done for the franchise, you know, mm -hmm. commercially or critically. But it, it didn't really matter in terms of, or at least it seems to have taught the wrong lesson about, like, how can we make them love us again? Or, yeah. I don't know. This is probably more than we wanted to say about No Time to Die. But Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it it did maybe, you remember that series, like I did on the Tarzan movies, and everybody's like, mm -hmm. why are you doing this series? But I think they're so fascinating because they reflect, and happily some readers, by the end of the series, they're like, okay, this was really interesting. Because mm -hmm. I think really long-running franchises that span decades, I think they're so fascinating in what they tell us about what society thought of things or, yeah. you know, what Hollywood was trying to say to the world. Um, yeah. Because, you know, if you have, like, a template, the variations from it become the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, in that way, I think the Bond era is really, or the Craig era is really interesting because mm -hmm. it was an era filled with, a, like, a lot of, like, sex negativity <laughs> uh-huh um and a lot of sort of like uh and i i'm not saying that you know talks about uh slut shaming and coercion and sexual assault and all these things are 
sex negative, because obviously that is a different thing than sex. Right. But it bleeds over into this things where sex becomes a super fraught thing. And, and the before Bond being part coming out during the sexual revolution and all that stuff, like Bond was this very, very sexual character. Mm. It's fascinating that he's suddenly like not asexual, but suddenly super monogamous, which he never was. Yeah. Um, and so in that way, I think the Bond films are always fascinating, but it, but at the same time, I'm bored and I'm glad Daniel Craig's moving on. Yeah. And also, so many of their choices feel calculating for what you're saying about, well, how can we make people like us? It's like, even the choice of Rami Malek is, oh my God. Oh, he just won an Oscar, so therefore Rami Malek should be in it. I'm like, yeah, but he's not, A, he's not a good actor. B, he's not threatening. <laughs> so, like, maybe. Think and you seem to have worked that out at some point because he's not in it until like three hours into it. And then he's a little bit in it. Yeah. And so it's like, maybe cast someone who can do threatening. Yeah. Because as much as I hate Christopher Waltz as an actor, he he can do menace. He's really good. Yeah. So yeah. like, get the choice, even though I think he's boring because he always makes the same choices. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wish they would not worry about what the world's thinking so much and just try to make a really good adventure movie. Yeah. Um, Dagmara Dementic. She can do Menace. There's your Bond villain. And she already knows Maggie Gyllenhaal. So, like, the whole thing is taking shape beautifully. <laughs> Pregnant Bond villain being like, fuck you, move. I love I love the broccolis let uh, Nick and Nathaniel produce. And it's like, what's <laughs> grossing Bond movie of all time? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Afterwards, everyone's like, death to Bond, never again. <laughs> Um, maybe more quickly because I'm sure we're running out of time or whatever. But um, maybe this will be a two-parter. Maybe it'll be a two-parter. <laughs> maybe we're going to do exactly what we've been complaining about. Let's keep stretching it out and give the public more of what we think they want.